Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf, Gojo and Golik, Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving in the 2024 NBA postseason. You get it. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's a beautiful morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Michael Jr. That is me. With me, as always, Super Producer Brandon Newman, Isaiah out in the desert, my father, Mike Golick Sr., Charlotte Wilder making her way into the studio, coming on over from her duties around Metal Arc Media. Charlotte, how we doing, bud? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Mr. I went yeah. to Taylor Swift three times? I am in pain, guys. <laughs> it is... I, I, I will just say, I, I did, in fact, go to my third Taylor Swift show of the Eras Tour last night. I was night five in L.A. I had been to night two in L.A. before that. You can hear it in my voice. If you're watching us on DraftKingsNetwork.com or on YouTube later on, I'm weird and on my face right now. I'm 33 going on 34, and my third bout of that concert absolutely brought me to my knees and dad the only thing i can keep going back to is especially right now this is the final leg of this round of the u.s tour she is going six shows in seven nights and i do not physically know how it is possible in the advent of hard knocks last night i know we've got the johnny manzel doc that came out too all these bits of behind the scenes content the number one bit of behind the scenes content that i want in life right now is what does the recovery program look like taylor for taylor swift for her band for her dancers immediately after this show is done because make no mistake 
This is an athletic showcase for the ages, and I do not know how she physically pulls it off. Dad, we're in the middle of training camp right now, and I still don't know if anyone is actually working hard as Taylor Swift does for over three hours every night during this damn show. It, it is amazing, I mean, to, to think about that because, I mean, you're right. I mean, we've done a number of training camps in our day, and we've hated every single one of them, and you're sore and you're beat up, and you go out and you do it again. You do it day after day. And she's putting on, listen, I haven't been to it, but I know you've been to it. Everybody else in the family has, except for me and Ben, uh, that it's an unbelievable show. And you keep telling me about the backup dancers and the production that goes on. And maybe there's something, too, when Travis Kelsey was trying to, you know, use the, what was it, what's it called? The friendship bracelet to try and get the phone number uh, uh, from her, but didn't see her before the concert because she supposedly doesn't meet with people before the concert to save her voice. I could see that. If I were her, I wouldn't meet with people after the concert. You know, I, I would be a recluse, you know, until the next show. It is, in, when this tour is over, I expect her to go to an island that she is able to buy because of all the money she has and just sit on said island for weeks or months at a time until she continues this tour next year. Charlotte, you've been to the Eras Tour here, so you've kind of experienced what I'm going through right now. Tell me if I'm wrong here. I think the best way to describe this is it swallows you whole. Like when you go inside this experience, I have been to a lot of concerts, been fortunate to be up close and personal, a lot of concerts, and seen a lot of great shows. There are very few, if any, that I have encountered that like this one, it's almost like when you go to a movie or honestly a sporting event, I think is the cash equivalent because I will put last night, there is a song she plays called Champagne Problems and on this tour for whatever reason, after that song, because everyone wants to show her that that album that came on is one that they actually love and not just some pandemic holdover. This crowd goes insane. And normally it's like a handful of minutes of applause and yelling after. This was, and I checked with Nathan Hubbard, co-host of every single album, Taylor Swift, an authority on the issue. This was five minutes longer of applause, approaching 10 minutes of just nonstop feral screaming from these fans that in my travels around college football and at sports in general, Charlotte, I have not heard a louder environment. The applause after this song last night would make Death Valley on a Louisiana Saturday night blush and call time out in frustration and spike a headset. It was insane. Yes, 1,000%. Having been to Death Valley on a Saturday night and having been yeah. to the Taylor Swift tour at MetLife Stadium, I can say unequivocally I have never been in a crowd like that. I have never, you know, not to brag, been to a lot of sporting events because it's literally my job. Um, and I have never in a million, in, in any of the things I've gone to, felt an energy like that from the crowd. Maybe the closest thing would be the Vegas Knights 2018 first Stanley Cup game where my water mm. at the in the press box was vibrating. But, but that's even like maybe a 15th of what the energy at Taylor Swift is like. And I, and I think people keep trying to compare her to other things that we have the ability to compare her to. I think um, in terms of the sports world or something more traditionally um, masculine, I think, um, you know, I've heard some podcasts where people are like, well, Taylor Swift is sort of like the insert this man. And 
it's like when people try to compare the U.S. women's national team to, they're like, well, it's sort of like the, you know, the dream team. It, it's like, don't, it, nothing compares to the, to, in sports, to these kinds of dynasties and fan loyalty, I would argue that she has, um, that, that some of these women have brought out in people. So I don't know. I, it was truly, it was the most overwhelming experience. And when they say that some fans are, you know, blacking out and not remembering aspects of it, I completely understand why having been to it, because it's just three hours of stimulation. So let me ask you both this, because again, I have not been to it. I was actually at one years ago, Mike, when you guys were just into college at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut with uh, your mother, your sister, Sydney, and your buddy, Kevin Egan, who skipped football practice to, to come to the concert. <laughs> and I basically stayed in there for a little bit and then went and gambled. So is there a positive? Because we complain college football games can be too long. We, we've changed rules in baseball to shorten the game. We love a nice, tidy thing. Is there any part of you, Charlotte, let me start with you, that thinks possibly it could be too long, that the concert could actually be too long and too much? No, because I think she has so many songs that her fans love so much that it could actually be longer. Like, I found myself sitting there. The She has designed this show. I've never seen anything like it because I found myself getting exhausted watching it. I was like, how is she doing this if I'm exhausted? But at the same time, I didn't want it to end. Like, I got so sad when we got towards the end because she has paced it so well that she takes you on this journey where you go through she gives you a little bit of a break and then you rise up again and then you know especially after reputation which i was just sort of my favorite moment of the whole tour where it's just like very poppy i was like i could i want this to go on forever i want her to play every single song on every album she's ever made. And I think that's a testament to how well she knows her audience too. She's not exhausting you. She knows exactly what she's doing in terms of where she's putting what. I mean, it's really, it's re it, it blew my mind. It really blew my mind. She is a coach who knows her locker room very well because you're right, Charlotte, the first thing that's happened after every show I've been through is people start talking about the songs they also wish would have made it. Obviously, which was their favorite and everything like that, but it's always what ended up on the cutting room floor. And Dad, because we hadn't seen her tour, to your point, the tours have been more frequent back when you went and saw her. They hadn't seen her tour since before 2019. And so you've got all this built-up energy. And the thing that I had to remind myself last night, because I will say, Dad, last night I found myself getting exhausted towards the end. And it was a show now that I knew the beats of. But as I looked around and saw in the crowd – you remember that for a lot of people, this is the only time they'll get to do this. And the reason you get that energy and the crazy responsibility that she has, and I thought about this when I landed in Cincinnati right after Joe Burrow's calf injury for that golf tournament, the responsibility that he has where his leg had the whims and the hopes and the dreams and the happiness and the sadness of that entire city lumped on top of it when he was down there on the ground, the same way that every single night Taylor Swift goes out there and laces up the cleats for this show, she is going to make someone's year 
Like somebody in that crowd and really thousands of somebodies have spent hard-earned money, time in a weird online line, time going through Ticketmaster or some secondary market to get here, to fly here, to drive here, to bring their family or their kids here or their friends here and just makes their entire life. Like it is a wild thing to comprehend and to see it happen like that tenfold around every one of these concerts is why I think there aren't, Charlotte's right, enough songs she could put in this show to satisfy the people that are going. So I think the biggest question for me then, it's something I believe we've all done. Mike, I know you and I have. Charlotte, I don't know if you have, but they they have these services now that if you're hungover or whatever, they'll come in and give you an IV, you know? So I wanna know what her and her dancers, what that cocktail is, okay? I wanna know because she has to be getting, and they have to be getting IVs, right, to to rehydrate, something we would do oh. all the time. I would get them at half times of, of games. I would love to know what's in this cocktail. It, it's got to be something strong, because I will tell you, and the coolest part about, like, seeing it now, where she's in this run, like, at the end of this, she's going out on this end with a flame and blaze of glory. She was a little slap happy by the end of the night, and she's sweating her ass off during the show. Hair cannot be tamed the entire time, and by the end, as she's going through some of the monologues and some of the little riffs in between songs, you could tell she's starting to feel it right now. So, Charlotte, whatever's in that cocktail is apparently very good. She also hasn't gotten sick this tour, which is the most yeah. amazing thing on earth. Rich person drugs are truly different. <laughs> she has she has there was one show i forget what it was where she did champagne problems and she her nose just started running and she was like oh god i've snot all over me i'm getting over a cold like and she just knows how to be relatable she's probably <laughs> the least relatable person in america because she has a level of wealth and access that none of us can even comprehend and yet she manages to still feel like I'm like, well, I mean, we'd be really good friends. Like if we met, she'd love me. Like I'd love her. You know, so it's really, it's, she's a magician. She's an absolute magician. <laughs> that is 100% the greatest magic trick, the rabbit out of the hat that Taylor Swift is able to pull off despite being able to buy everything in my life a hundred times over at some point wearing the crowd where she introduces herself and says, hi, I'm Taylor. I'll be your host tonight or points out into the crowd during one of the songs. I'm like, Oh yeah, she's pointing at me. Totally. She's pointing of all the people here, she's pointing at me and everyone who's watching on YouTube right now, my glittered tattooed arm. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. All right, well, we could sit here and certainly talk about Taylor Swift for the next three podcasts and probably get through all that. By the way, guys, yeah. the, uh, apparently the teens are bringing back digital cameras, which I'm amazed by. So hold on to those if you've got them at home. Don't sell them off because apparently they're worth a lot of money. So, Dad, have Mom start looking in the cabinets there. But um, <laughs> They're with the Pokemon cards that she, that she gave away. So. Oh, my God, I will never. My mom is a wonderful woman who listens to and supports everything I do. But man, she really subverted our future wealth by selling off my Pokemon cards from out under me. So, mom, <laughs> if you're listening, I still haven't forgotten. But, um, uh, guys, I, I wanted to get to this. We're getting into training camp right now. We're getting coaches and players at the podium every day. And I heard something yesterday that was nowhere near the bingo card. 
than I had laid out for everything coming up. Quite honestly, I thought this particular camp had flown under the radar in a way that was surprising given who was involved. Ron Rivera for the Washington Commanders, who are fresh off of a whole bunch of headlines having to do with Daniel Snyder and the sale of the team that were this cause for celebration and kind of made us forget anything football-related, has now given away to this. Ron Rivera stepped at the podium yesterday and talked about how some of his players had expressed concern over their new offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy's intensity during practices. He said, quote, I had a number of guys come to me, and I said, hey, just go talk to him. Understand what he's trying to get to talk to you as they go and talk and listen to him. It's been enlightening for a lot of these guys. It's a whole different approach. Dad basically saying the intensity that Eric Bieniemy coached the players with had them all taken aback, had them all reeling a little bit. And Ron Rivera, for reasons I still cannot understand, Dad, decided to bring this to light, had to address them. I saw already went to the podium this morning and had a prepared statement about the comments he made where he also compared the enemy style to Jack Del Rio during camp, all of which seemed to unnecessarily now once again Put the bullseye on the back of a coach in Eric Bieniemy, who already, because of his back and forth with the head coach interview process and all the things that we do and don't know behind the scenes, has had every part of his coaching style and ability scrutinized in a way unlike any coach that I have ever seen. And now heading into a season before he has even called a play for the Washington Commanders is going to have that same target put on his back in a new way here. Uh, I Listen, again, um, Sometimes the thing I say comes from old school mentality, which sometimes gets mocked today as the old man sitting on the, on the front porch. But I think old school ways can work in a new world. You can mix and match new ways and old ways. I am I'm stunned Ron Rivera did this. Again, this was just a, a question. How are the players, you know, adjusting to Eric Bianca? It was basically, you know, it was a pretty simple question that Rivera then brought up, yeah, players are complaining, players are having a hard time. And I, for the life of me, and this is a guy that played in my era. I mean, I, this, this is a guy, for those that don't know, was on the 85 Bears. So I don't understand why he brought this up. I, 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 his answer should have been, everything is fine, they're adjusting to a new coach, next question, and move on. And for those that say, oh, they love the transparency, or for those they say, it's a coach, you know, sending a message, which I get. I get head coaches send messages. This one, to me, wasn't one to send because what then happens? Every time the enemy comes to the microphone, he's going to be asked. The players are going to be asked. You know, a guy like Antonio Gibson, the running back, said practice has been the biggest adjustment, practice tempo. We run more plays in practice than we ever have. Uh, fine. Okay, that's great. But Ron Rivera did this. Ron Rivera brought this to light. And I, for the life of me still, don't know why. Why would you invite something in to now have reporters asking players, coaches, everything about this all the time? There is no need for it. There is sit in the meeting. If you truly had players problem uh, with a problem, in the meeting. Hey, any of you players that got a problem with the enemy, go talk to him. Or, and he'll explain to you what his reasoning is. You know, so, you know, for, for wanting to hear, am I taking a player's side? Am I taking the coach's side? What was the message? I could get into all of that. I could tell the players, listen, training camp sucks. You know what players have done from the beginning of time in training camp? Complained. 
We complain, you complain, we all complained every stinking day about training camp. It happens. Just let it happen behind closed doors and we move on. So I don't know why Ron Rivera lit the match to this thing. Yeah, Charlotte, it seemed to be that in the most favorable reading of this possible, Ron Rivera was trying to send a message through the media to his players that, hey, listen, this is how it's going to be. This is championship-level coaching that we brought over from Kansas City, and you got to deal with it, but we're responsible for our words, and I don't think Ron Rivera chose them carefully enough to avoid what it appears to be pulling the pin on a grenade and lobbing it right at his newly hired offensive coordinator. Yeah, I'm with you, Mike. I think that the most charitable read on this can be Ron saying to his players, get over yourselves. Uh, but I also think the least, not least charitable, but, you know, I think it, it it does raise the question, is this a message to be enemy? Is this a don't step on my toes? Is this a get off my turf? I'm the head coach. I have the power to undermine you in front of the public. And I can't say what it is because I'm not in Ron Rivera's head, but I do know that this is a black coach who has been passed over for numerous head coaching jobs despite his success with the Chiefs. I know he also has, you know, everybody's got, I don't know. I, I just think that it, it, it calls into question his um, role in that locker room in a way that is only detrimental and puts an unfair microscope on him going forward, as you said, uh, Mike Sr., but it, it, it just struck me as this very, there's something going on here that we don't know is how it comes across. And if there isn't, it was clumsy and mismanaged. It was my read on it. Yeah, I, I think that's the toughest part of this is trying to figure out which side of the fence it falls on. Was it something that was just an error, something that was said, you know, haphazardly without an understanding of the intent that it could have on the other side of the effect it could have, or was it purposeful? Ron Rivera, whose job security has not always felt the safest in this, now all of a sudden creating a scapegoat for what goes on. I don't want to read that maliciously into it with a guy in Ron Rivera who I've never heard overly bad things about personally like that. But remember, Eric Bannemi's in the same role that he was in Kansas City, a place where the players publicly almost universally praised Eric Bannemi, the current players there, and enjoyed a ton of success in the offensive system that he has helped coaching into this Washington Commanders team right now. Summertime is an awesome chance to enjoy some downtime, but also focus on taking care of myself before I get to the grind of fall football season and everything that comes with that. So I like to make sure I'm getting outside, moving around, eating as best I can, and of course using some sunscreen, especially on top of my bald head to protect myself. And whether you're off to the pool, hiking, or traveling this summer, remember you're always bringing your microbiome with you. That's the 38 trillion bacteria that live in and on you, especially in your gut, that are essential to whole body health. That's where our friends at Seed come into play. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits your gut, skin, and heart health in just two capsules a day. I've been taking Seed for about a month now, and DSO-1 has been awesome for me. I feel more regular, my skin looks and feels great, and it's incredibly convenient. I can store it right in the cabinet with all my other supplements because I don't have to worry about refrigerating it, and the free travel vial that I got with the welcome kit allows me to take DSO-1 on the go with me wherever I am during this busy summer. Because remember, your body's an ecosystem, and great whole body health starts 
starts in the gut. Your gut's that central hub for all the various pathways throughout your body. And a healthy gut microbiome means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and so much more. And it's backed by a ton of science with clinical trials and breakthrough research published in top scientific journals. Seeds probiotic research and development make DSO-1 a product you know you can trust. Not only has every ingredient been tested individually in scientific studies for their safety, dosage, and benefits, the DSO-1 formulation as a whole has been evaluated in two clinical trials. So support your gut this summer with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash gojo and use code 25gojo to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash gojo, code 25gojo. Uh, so with hard coaching uh, being the theme of the day right now, and, and I guess ultimately that, Dad, that's probably the message of the Eric Bieniemy thing is this also could be, like again, outside of the what seems like politicking at the microphone between coaches, it could also just be a good old-fashioned rubbing up of generations. Like Eric Bieniemy seems like a guy that still could have gotten down in mind, but we talk about all the time, you got to kind of reach players differently now. I've heard coaches say that, and Eric Bieniemy's got an old-school style that appears to be one maybe rubbing up against a new generation, but as much as anything, too, rubbing up against a team in a franchise that hasn't done a lot of winning lately. And that well, is the difficulty of trying to figure out. And I remember this. I mean, during most of my time at Notre Dame, we were a dead dog average football team, and that's not an indictment of either of the coaches that I played for, the head coaches, but it's just a reality. We didn't know, and people always say, know how to win. Really, that's just understanding and acknowledging the amount of work it takes to win at a consistent level and the attention to detail that takes almost each and every day. And when you have someone that comes in and holds you to your standard, I talk about Harry Heastand all the time, who was the one that kind of introduced that standard in actuality into my football life. Dad, that is a jarring experience for players. And I think that's also probably what they're going through right now, seeing what it looks like up close inside the operation that's made Kansas City so successful. Yeah, I mean, and, and listen, it, when when you have not had success, to me as a player, the last thing in the world I'm going to do is open my mouth. You know, we, we have not succeeded. In comes a coach who has had success. So... I'm going to say, okay, he's been where we want to go. And that doesn't mean everybody's methods are always right, but these were a little different. And as I said, the running back Antonio Gibson said, the tempo was more than we've ever been. We're running more plays than we've ever run. Okay. You know, he's not doing anything, you know, doing anything wrong to you. He's working you hard. And what a year this is because for whatever reason, He's been passed over for a head coaching job. And I don't know the reason because there have been other black head coaches that have been hired since he's been in the cycle to try and be hired. So it's not like none have been hired. Clearly not enough. The league still has a problem with it. So I don't know the issue. Some people will say, well, he didn't call plays. Well, Matt Nagy didn't call plays in his stint first with Kansas City and got the head coaching job in Chicago, which he failed there. So this is why this such an important year for him is while he had all that success in Kansas City, remember, he wasn't calling plays. It was Andy Reid. Andy Reid's calling plays. So now this is Eric Bieniemy's offense, an offense that was, I believe, in the bottom third in the league in Washington. So all of a sudden, if that offense can become in the top third or the top 10 or something like that, that's a real feather in Eric Bieniemy's cap saying, okay, 
Now he did it on his own. Whether that, like I said, was holding him back or not, I don't know. Because, like I said, other coaches, you know, under the Sean McVay tree, who where he was calling plays, other coaches who weren't were getting head coaching jobs in places as well. So that certainly couldn't have been the only reason. But this is a big year for Eric Bieniemy, no doubt about it, because the, this offense is his. Yeah, Charlotte, I think sometimes it happens like that where, you know, his intensity, it seems like that's just kind of how he is, right? He's a fiery guy. He said, I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader when things go well, but I'm going to let you know when you do things wrong. There's also that added bit of, all right, he's a human being. He probably feels exactly what dad's talking about, how much at stake for him there. And so, yeah, you're going to grip the wheel pretty tight when that's the case. Yeah, I think, you know, some people would say there are things in his past or allegations um, about his behavior in his private life that could give teams pause. But I think that that is not, you know, there are a lot of things about white head coaches where they could give teams pause and it has not been uniformly the standard across the board. So I think it really does come down to something a little more insidious unless there are things that we really don't know, because sometimes there are things that we just really don't know. But whatever whatever the case in, in, in you know, Biennemi's now beginning stint in in Washington, this is a team that needs somebody to, you know, give them a real kick in the pants because they have not been impressive or done anything. And, you know, I know Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes has talked so much about how the enemy helped him with the Chiefs. And it's like, well, uh, you know, if, if anyone can point to a real beacon of success right now in the league, it's Patrick Mahomes. So, to say that his the, the coach who you know helped make him what he is as a pro football player to say that he's riding you too hard is maybe like well okay do you want to do you want what the chiefs yeah. have because clearly yeah. something worked so i think it starts to be like you know do something with yourselves and then tell us that it's difficult well, and that's the funny thing in dad is it's not even like the Chiefs operated and from the outside looked like the Patriots, right? Where it looks very unfun and you hear all these stories yeah. about how regimented. The Chiefs look like they're having more fun than almost yeah. anybody. They remind me much more of 2017 Eagles than they do any of the Patriots teams. I, I co- completely agree. So, again, so that's why you can take this. Was he was Ron Rivera saying this because he thinks the players are softer today? Was he taking a, a shot at Eric Bieniemy saying he'll learn because he hasn't been a head coach yet, like me and and Jack Del Rio? Like I said, either way, why open up that box? Why, why open up any of us talking about what he meant? To me, it was just a a senseless thing to do. Coming back full circle to that, that that should have been absolutely kept under wraps or kept in the building and have the discussion there. Uh, completely agree. So uh, an interesting day at the microphones for camps there. Um, an interesting day in front of the microphones in, in college sports too. And Charlotte, we <laughs> haven't really gotten to talk to you as the dust has settled and really got kicked up going into the weekend and coming into this week in terms of conference realignment news. And Commissioner Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, one of the two power two conferences left in the sport, went on Paul Feinbaum yesterday and talked about, in his words, the tinge of sadness that he felt upon seeing the Pac-12 on the verge of collapse. And Charlotte, he you know talked about the strength of the SEC, how they don't feel like they need to be in four time zones to be as popular as they've been, and basically came out to say that they have no plans of further expansion here. 
seems to kind of ignore the role that the SEC had in getting the ball rolling on all of this, don't you think? Oh, yeah. It cracked me up. I was like, college football is the pettiest. Well, the NBA <laughs> and college football really give each other a run for their money. But I think college football, the executives and the coaches get into it uh, more than the players at times. Um, and I think that Sankey here, he was like, yeah, you know, it, it, it bums me out. They had to go across America. And it's like, yeah, because you took everybody in your time zone already. It's like you started this so that you wouldn't have to go across time zones and you could get, what are there, 16 teams in the SEC now? Like, it just so happens that you did it first, so you got to pick where you wanted to be. And it was such a, you know, you want to be the pot or the kettle, Greg Sankey. Like, this is – and, and it was also just, like, so SEC of him. It was so, like, oh, us? Like, Little 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 SEC, like what have we ever done to uh, influence this game in any way? Um, because I think that you know that's a that's a real vibe you get from them, which is like we're going to take all the benefits and none of the blame for anything that's going on here because we can hide behind our our little time zones and our uh, you know string of successes. It it cracked me up. It was so predictable, and yet I I hadn't seen it yet. So thank you, Greg. Well, Charlotte, you brought it up there. Dad, it's almost the same principle that applies when we get to college football season. Uh, the early loss, right? If you're a team in playoff contention who wants to make it to the big dance, it's always better to lose early to a good team. And Greg Sankey and company went and did it early, right? They were the first rattle out of the box with Texas and Oklahoma coming over to the SEC. And that was the move that sort of made everyone else sitting around there, the USC's and UCLA's of the world, start to look up and go, oh, huh. So we can, we can have more of this green stuff that pours in for all these TV deals and sort of ignore now, now that we've had so much else happen and so much more destabilization and so many more teams on the move that this all got started rolling when we were all shocked two summers ago that Texas and Oklahoma announced their intentions. Listen, it, it, just, it just makes you chuckle a little bit. Basically, Greg Sankey was saying, well, you know, we did it right. Okay, the way we went about it. Now, boy, it's really sad what's going on now with the rest of these conferences. But oh, shit, we we did it correctly. You know the way the way it should be done. It's just it's amazing everybody's viewpoint, right? And it's great when somebody gets called out. Our, you know, our, all of our good friends, Mina Kimes. I just loved it where Jimbo Fisher on conference realignment. Unfortunately, we're in a time now that everybody is fighting over the dollar. And Mina in her post right above it put the headline from years ago, Jimbo Fisher leaves F FSU to accept huge contract to coach at Texas A&M. Coaches, you guys have been doing this forever, okay? You must have a blind spot somewhere that you've been signing 10-year, 7-year, 5-year deals and leaving after 2 and 3 years saying, bye-bye, bag's bigger over here, I'm out. Sorry what I said to your 18-year-old kid in the living room, you know, when I was recruiting him, but I'm out. It's amazing how they have blinders on for that, yet, oh, my God, NIL, how can we be giving these players money and letting them transfer in the portal? This is killing us. I mean, it just it blows my mind. Basically, it's how everybody kind of wants to present it to, to the public out there and then how that makes them look in return. It is funny that in all of this too now, because you're absolutely right. Like there has been so much hypocrisy for so long 
in the people that govern this sport. And again, we talked about this the other day. There is no one person that actually governs this sport. The reason that we have all of this is because there's no commissioner, no governing body, no one to tell anybody no. And so greed and uh, you know the neurotic nature of trying to not be the one left behind are all the things that end up pushing the buttons on this and get us to this point. But Charlotte, the thing I did love was that it sort of was news dumped in and around all of this Greg Sankey sound was this idea that the CFP committee might now also review how those 12 teams are chosen. Because remember, we expanded 12 teams next year in the playoffs. And remember, part of that was, all right, well, the six highest ranked conference champions are going to get automatic bids, and then we will fill out the other six seeds with at-large bids. Those conference champions will be able to host home games. They'll even have the buys for the first couple of teams. And now all of a sudden, I'm sure the SEC and the Big Ten were sitting around going, so wait a minute. We're the big bads on the block. We already got people saying power too. That's been in the lexicon for a few months now, it feels like. And we just had a whole conference die. Why in the hell are we going to give any of you guys a free pass for winning your very clearly lesser conference into this when we hold all the chips and just want to get all of our players into this conference? Well, the funniest scenario in that case is it's like, oh, Oregon State. Like you, you like yes. who, who's left in the Pac-12 now? It's it's Oregon State and Washington State. Is that what? Yes, Oregon State, are... Washington State, Stanford, and Cal, who are in the process of trying to get themselves poached by the ACC. Right. So it's like okay, Oregon State won the Pac-12, and they had a record of like two and eight because that's gonna be, you know it's like it's such a you can see the the Big Ten and and SEC being like wait a second. Uh, we very quickly have to be sure that at least 10 of our teams are in the 12-team college football playoff. So there's Greg Sankey goes out there with some hot takes and some, you know, some words that gets everybody talking. Meanwhile, they're like, now is a perfect time to be like, maybe we should do it all by committee still. What if we did that? Um, because, and, and it's just like, it really is fascinating what happens when absolutely everyone is completely out for themselves because that is what is going on here it's like like did ronald reagan come along and and uh mix up all and and, and deregulate college football it's like trickle down college football going on here it's really it's totally wild and i think that it's gonna be i mean it's sad too like it, it's funny because i think we've all gotten past the point of sad about it it's funny because it's so predictable it's funny because it's so based in greed and it's so based in what's best for individuals really like individual executives too um so but at the heart of this all it, it is a real bummer that there are no conferences that mean anything that geography has completely been abandoned which is really at the heart of college football is those is those local rivalries so you know i think we're laughing through the tears because the tears stopped flowing a long time ago when we all saw what direction all this was going in it's, go ahead dad i i think this, this is where i think it ends up now it's I think Cal and Stanford end up in the ACC. And listen, next year there won't be a Pac-12. They're not going to have, obviously, two teams. I think, in all honesty, I think Washington State and Oregon State end up in the Mountain West um, because I, I don't see one of the big four at this point bringing them in. So I, I do, do think they end up in, in the Mountain West, uh, uh, I, I would imagine. At least that's what I think. And then how is the format as we were changing going to change when we go to 12 teams? You know, we know what the format, you know, was. It was going to comprise the selection committee, the six highest ranked conference champions, and the next six highest ranked teams. So 
well, you're going to have one less conference now uh, to deal with in with, with the Pac-12, which will be the Pac-0. So I, that will be interesting to see how they go because we already knew we were you could get multiple teams from the power conferences. And you're right, each commissioner is going to want more from their conference. And the group of five is going to want to be represented somehow, some way. One of the group fives, whether it's the AAC or whoever, is going to want to become the one of the maybe make the power five again and replace the Pac-12. So there is still while I think the positioning, at least now, unless we end up getting to super conferences at some point of just two, as I said, I think it's going to end up how I said. And then it's going to be, okay, now how are we dividing the playoff pie? What is it going to look like um, going forward with the committee? And if you are any of the rest of the teams outside of that power two in college football, you got to fight tooth and nail with whatever you've got in your arsenal to make sure that doesn't happen. Because again, for anyone that missed it, playoff expansion is about involving more people in the conversation. I don't think it's going to meaningfully change who wins these championships, the resources, all of that have already left the station. This is about getting more teams involved in the national conversation, had on the big networks longer than anywhere else. And part of this system was to, yeah, Dad, you're absolutely right, get the group of five in there, who, by the way, the group of five who just lost Cincinnati as their champion going to the Big 12, UCF as one of their standard bearers going to the Big 12, on and on down the list, so many. You've still got you know the two lanes of the world who are fresh off a great win over USC uh, in the Cotton Bowl from this last year. But all of those things are changing, and so you've got to hold on for dear life to try and keep the representation for the rest of the sport there while you still can, because this was interesting, guys. I saw these comments from Chip Kelly, who talked about the eventuality here and said, again, the quiet thing out loud that we've all been sort of talking about. Chip Kelly said this, which, shameless plug because he mentions Notre Dame. He said, quote, Notre Dame is an independent in football, but they're in a conference and everything else. Why aren't we all independent for football? Take the 64 teams in Power 5 and make that one division. Take the 64 teams in Group of 5, make that another division. We play for a championship, they play for a championship, and no one else gets affected. Our sport is different than everybody else. We only play once a week. Travel's not a big deal for football, but it is a big deal for the other sports. Dad, this is what you talked about yesterday. This is what Muffet McGraw pined about the other day online as well, basically saying this, that football needs to go be its own thing. And Chip Kelly is at least the first football coach or person associated with the sport that I've seen say it out loud again at this juncture. And I always caution people. When people in positions of power, when people around the sport at this level say things out loud, they're not the only ones thinking it. And I imagine a few other people have already started talking about this. Listen, knee-jerk reaction, I, I, I love it because I do think football should separate for the sake of the other sports so they aren't traveling cross-country and getting nailed you know, physically and mentally how they're going to get nailed with all the travel. So that way, the, the Pac-12 could stay, all those teams could stay there, and the travel is easier. Same with Big Ten, ACC, and all that. So I think it's a great idea. I just am not smart enough to know how to do it, and right out of the gate, that sounds like a good idea. Now, the group of five may not want that, or do you have a game at the end, the group of five champ and the power you know, champ, you know, the, or you know, the different divisions? I don't know. But... Overall, the plan, Charlotte, I kind of like because I do think that's where we do end up need to be going is separate football so that the other schools can say geographically in their areas for the other sports. 
I, I do too, because this whole conversation about conference realignment completely forgets that there are a bajillion other sports and student athletes who are impacted by this. It's football just taking the reins and being like, well, this is what's best for us. And the schools can't really do anything because they're like, yeah, you make us the most money. Um, but it sounds like a nightmare. Imagine, you know, USC gymnastics traveling to Rutgers gymnastics, like for, you know, like what are we doing here? They don't have the resources to be as comfortable as football. It's just all totally it. The the horse is left. The horses are all out of all of the barns. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they are running free. The NCAA. They need to think about that to avoid all of the TikTok shaming that would go on as you inevitably had teams stranded at airports who used that and weaponized it against you. Learn from your past, <laughs> NCAA. Sound the trumpets. It's horse racing time. Saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIC, only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18-PLUS, 21-PLUS in certain states, to open or access an account and a resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply, void where prohibited, one per new customer, match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wagers within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. All right, friends, let's finish things off with this, that, and the third. Three quick stories to send you off into your day or send me to nap time. Uh, as always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us a five-star rating. Let us know more of what you want to hear. And also download, subscribe, rate, and review Oddball with our friend Charlotte Wilder and Amin El Hassan. Uh, doing great work, getting you caught up every day on the NBA news and notes. And make sure you support our friends who helped me tie my Taylor Swift outfit together last night. I went lover era, had a great shirt, tie-dye shirt, tie-dye hat. I still got the hat right here. Really felt good. Didn't consider myself a bucket hat guy before necessarily, but might have to dip more into it now. And it all worked because I had my knockaround sunglasses to tie the whole look together. They are the go-to for high-quality polarized shades that aren't going to break the bank. They got their first MLB collection teams out there right now. I went with the Los Angeles Dodgers last night, root for the home team. It went with the outfit. It all works. So don't be the one squinting into the sun, worried about getting sand in their overpriced sunglasses. Check out knockaround.com for great-looking polarized shades starting at just $28. And use code GOLIC, that's G-O-L-I-C, to get free shipping on your order. Uh, Dad, Charlotte, let's get to this. Dad, you have a point Mike, right real now. quick. You're your pen. Mike, Mike, real quick. You uh, would be outlawed at Denver camp because Sean Payton has outlawed the Gilligan hat, and that's what that is. So you would not be at Denver's camp. <clears throat> Sean Payton hating on a very uh, popular yep. hat form. I wonder if that's a bit of interdivision shot right there because Travis Kelsey, big bucket hat guy, and so maybe yeah. Sean Payton, subtle shade right now, putting Travis <laughs> Kelsey up on the projector in camp. Going, we're not going to let him come in here and influence our camp with his fashion or with his fun. We're going to be over here slandering Nathaniel Hackett and trying to revive Russell Wilson. Uh, so, uh, Sean, I'm sorry. I don't want the fine, so I'll take it off. Uh, guys, let's get to this. 
Um, speaking of training camp, always interesting to see when people are making position switches over the course of camp. We got two beauties right now in the AFC North. Over in Baltimore Ravens camp, Patrick Ricard, who has been a human refrigerator on wheels, the Pro Bowl fullback for the Baltimore Ravens, has apparently, after coming off the physically unable to perform list, spent the first 10 practices of camp now switching to offensive line. He is a six foot three, 305-pound behemoth getting some O-line reps here for the team. While Dad, inside the same division in the AFC in the AFC North, you've got over in the Pittsburgh Steelers, Kendrick Green, the former center, third round pick for them, getting reps at fullback right now, and apparently kind of balling like they're giving him the rock. And all of this to me, Dad, is a beautiful reminder that your large athletes on the team are capable of more than you ever could have dreamed possible. Well, I mean, also the the reality of this is that, that Kendrick Green wins because he now gets to touch the ball. Uh, Ricard loses because he doesn't get to touch the ball if he plays on the old line. And the shame for Ricard is now he could certainly go back to it. But if you get switched to old line, the next place you get switched to is is fan of football. So Preach. that's that's Preach. that's a tough call. So I I do think he can go back and play some fullback. But once you go to that old line, you start looking around and you're like, hell, there ain't nowhere else to go from here. <laughs> you know, I, I, Charlotte, all I, I have look, to yeah, say, go ahead. I just want the best for the big men. I just want the best for the big men. Whatever is going to give them the glory, let's just keep it going. I appreciate you uh, supporting our beefy community. Brandon, I don't appreciate your mild offensive line. It's not even mild offensive line <laughs> slander. It's full <laughs> offensive line slander from the cheap seats. How dare you? It, I mean, it's, it's as simple as this. I spent my entire time in Notre Dame on the bench. At least they never tried to move me to O-line. You know? I kept my feet under me. <laughs> Jesus, man stood ten toes I don't know down I, and went out on his turns. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. If I could have gone to the old line and played, I may have made that move. <laughs> Brandon, you me. know what? Not Despite Brandon. Your slander, we would nope. have welcomed you with open arms into our room. You would have been such a welcome member of our community. But now, yous can't come. Um, guys, <laughs> uh, speaking of a community I want to be a part of, let's get to that. Uh, did you guys see the Jacksonville Jaguars' new toilets in their facility? So, uh, there years ago used to be this P chart that went viral. I forget whose football program it was, but it was the color P chart that's in almost every athletic locker room that shows you your P needs to be this color if you're properly hydrated. And all the way at the bottom, if your P was like maroon, it said bad guy. And now the Jags dad have gone above and beyond with a bit of technology that measures this inside the urinal that you're actually familiar with in a facility you train at right now. Yeah, absolutely. Exos out in uh, out in Scottsdale, where or Cave Creek area, where you and your brother both trained uh, for pro days. They let former players work out there, and they have one of these. So you know, while I think it's great to have the the issue is you got to be pretty accurate. You know, something we try we learn as little kids, or I tried to teach you and Jake as little kids. You got to be good with your aim, or you know, who's ever cleaning the bathroom? Normally, your mother is cleaning up pee all over the toilet seat and the floor because your aim is horrible. So you got to get pretty good aim here. You got to get that stream going in the right spot. It almost reminds me of that carnival game where you have the water pistol and you shoot the stream into the bullseye and it blows up the balloon. You got to be right with that stream. You got you to gotta hit it right or you're just kind of all over the place making a mess before you can get your reading. 
Charlotte so doesn't even want to talk. The conversation that was supposed to be about hydration turned into a revelation Look, that apparently my dad can't aim where he pees. All I have to say is that I hope there is a lady equivalent of this so that the women on the Jaguar staff, I know they're not on the field. Everybody deserves to have their hydration levels measured. So get back to me on that, Jaguars beat reporters. And everybody's hydration is important to overall team success. We all have a role to play in this process here. And if we have people, regardless of their role, regardless of their gender, coming into this locker room, all of a sudden not hydrated, it was Texas football, I believe, during the Tom Herman era. And we don't need any bad guys or gals out there subverting our team's success with their lack of hydration. So, uh, Dad, I really hope this is also not a cry out um, that my mom needs help right now and that you're just peeing all over seats in your guy's house in South Bend. So lock it in. <laughs> learn how to aim. You're a 60-year-old man. I really thought we would have had this box checked at least by the time you left college, which is probably where my aim was the worst, but that was usually the alcohol's fault. Listen, 60-year-old man gets up now in the middle of the night to pee, and I can't be held responsible because I keep the lights off so I don't wake anybody up. Who the hell knows where it goes? You know what I'm saying? Can't be held oh responsible. Yes, you can be. You're a married man with a woman who runs your life every day. Yes, you can be held responsible. I blame it on the dogs. Oh, dear God. All right, let's get to the third and get away from this. Um, Dad, the uh, interesting moment here, the USL champion side Sacramento Riptide, uh, Republic have made history by signing a 13-year-old on Tuesday. Uh, Davian Kimbrough, at 13 years and five months old, is the youngest player to become a soccer professional in the United States and is believed to be the youngest professional team in sports across major leagues in North America, including the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, and WNBA. That record most recently belonged to Maximo Carrizo, who signed with New York City FC's senior squad on his 14th birthday back in February. So we have got a new 13-year-old king. Dad, this feels deeply European of us in the world of soccer, quite honestly. Yeah. It, listen, I remember years ago it was Freddie Adu, right? I think Freddie Adu was like 14 um, uh, when, when he became a pro soccer player. Man, you know what this is going to do to the soccer parents out there? Already they are the worst parents in sports in youth soccer as I, all you kids grow up, grown up and play, and when Sydney played soccer, they were the worst parents. And they're the ones now that want their kids to play soccer year round so that they get the scholarship. Now it's not even about the scholarship when they're 18. Now they're gonna push their kids to be freaking pros at 13 or 14 years old. This is not gonna end well for the soccer parents out there who already are way too ridiculous in their actions. Or it'll end with their 13-year-olds making a lot of money. So I don't know that we're de-incentivizing it. Hey, man, listen, uh, we've been talking about O coordinators all day. No risk it, no biscuit was a moniker we heard for a long time, and that feels like the option in this case. Uh, we hope you risked it for the biscuit with this podcast. If you did, download, subscribe, rate, and review us, Oddball, everything else. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Go, go. Boom. Money in the bank. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf, Gojo and Golik, Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving in the 2024 NBA postseason. You get it. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. 
Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.